sins. This is the sin that made Satan, Satan. It was because he felt he was so beautiful and glorious and powerful that he deserved to be worshipped. And so he cast off glorifying God and, and called people to glorify him. That is how he felt. We also know that, that we actually really, really hate pride. Maybe it's because of that connection to, to Satan himself, but when we see pride in other people, when people are arrogant and self-centered, we really hate it. But ironically, we never see it in ourselves. We're completely blind to seeing it in ourselves. We kind of wander around acting like this is everyone else's struggle but our own. And it's that blindness to pride that really gives it its strength. We just don't see it. And so today, we're going to have to see it. We're going to have to see that pride. And I ask that you'd have the humility to admit that you are prideful today. Because pride is actually one of those weird sins where it'll persist even as other sins fall away. So you can be reading your Bible, praying all the time. You can even be morally improving so that you're, you're following more and more of God's laws. And yet you can find yourself not less prideful, but more prideful as a result. Because all this stuff, all these good works are just proving, oh, I'm not just a really good person. I'm just great. Look at what I'm doing. So it's also the most dangerous of sins. Because you can deceive yourself and think that you're doing so well when behind all of those good works is just self-exaltation and proving to other people that you are good enough. Proving that in the end, you don't actually know the gospel at all. So, kind of sadly then, humility is probably one of the least understood and kind of like least representative of all the virtues. We have a lot of like false humilities and replacements for it, but I think one of the only places we see true humility is in Christ. And so we're going to be looking at that today. We're going to be looking at Philippians 1, 27 through chapter 2, verse 11. And in this passage, we're going to be learning about both pride and humility, but primarily we're going to be looking at why we need humility, what humility actually is, and then how we get it. So, why we need it, what it is, how we get it. So turn with me to Philippians 1, 27, and we'll read. Read with me. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you not that, you, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. All right. So, the first thing we see here is that we're going to talk about our need for humility. So in verses 27 through 30, Paul gives a charge to the church. They are to live in a way that is worthy of the gospel. And they're to unite together with this charge to side by side bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And they're called to unite in that because this is a big task. They're going to have to be united to accomplish it. But even more, they're going to have to be united because bringing the gospel to the world means suffering. It means persecution. And they're not going to be able to bear that persecution and suffering alone. So in verse 1, Paul pleads with the Philippians, please be united. Look at verse 1. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's basically saying, if you appreciate the gospel at all, share that with each other. If there's any encouragement you get from the gospel, share that encouragement with one another. Share the fact that you share Christ in common. Share the Spirit. Together pursue Christ. Because Paul knows that he depends upon the church. He would not be successful in his mission without the church and without unity. And likewise, the, the church of Philippi is going to suffer if they're not united. So then, we are called to the same mission as the church in Philippi. I know we don't think of it like that, but we really are called... All these things are, we are called to that same mission. To bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world side by side. And if we're going to do that, we need to be united. We need to grow together as one single church. Bear the rejection and suffering of proclaiming the gospel together. Share the gospel of faith to these people as one unified whole. And why? Because we, we want to be kind of a force for good in this community. We want to actually have an impact. We want to be people who are on mission. If we think about kind of our lives in general, they are mostly kind of purposeless. We can fill our time, but the mission of God is what gives us a purpose here. That is what this time is for. And we are united together for the joy of seeing that gospel spread. Now you're saying, what, what does this have to do with, with humility and pride? Because pride kills unity. Pride absolutely kills it. Pride is the thing that is going to keep you isolated from the other believers right here in this building. From the people next to you. Because if you're too superior to people to actually ask for their help, 
then you're going to be lost. We're not going to fulfill this mission. And likewise, if you're too self-absorbed to ever reach out and help anyone, we're not going to complete this mission. Pride is going to get in the way. And likewise, pride is going to keep us from actually growing. So if you're already perfect and you see you're kind of always fighting to make sure that you're on top, you're not going to learn from the people next to you. You're not going to learn what God is teaching them. You're not even going to learn from these sermons because you'll think that you already know it. And so how are you going to learn more about evangelizing, about going into the world, about actually praising and worshiping Jesus more? We're not going to be able to learn. We're going to be prideful people and immature prideful people. That is the consequence of pride. But even more, without humility, we're not going to be able to go into this world. Because what are we going to say? We're going to say, well, this community doesn't deserve it. They don't deserve our help or our time or our, our mission. Why don't they can come to us, but we're not going to go to them. We, we found God. They need to find God as well. It'll keep us from actually going out. But even more, even if we do go out, we're going to go out with an air of superiority. And pride is actually going to corrupt our message so that when people hear us, oh, yeah, yeah, come, come to our church, they're going to hear that tinge of superiority. And the fact that we are kind of looking down on them and patronizing them, and they will not accept that. Rightfully so, they should not accept it. Because they know that they know that we're no better than them. And we can't act like we are. They're going to reject that message. And they're going to not like Christians. Not because the message is hard. The message is hard. There will be suffering that comes from just bringing the message. But if we bring that message with pride, then we, we deserve that suffering. Because we're bringing it upon ourselves. All right, so this church, this community... This mission will not survive if we, if we stay prideful people. We have a clear need for humility. Which brings us to our second point. What is humility? What is it really? I think we have, a, we have it's kind of thrown around a lot. Now, I wish I could say completely positive. This is a hard sermon. Talking about pride is hard. I apologize. This is hard. Um, but we're going to have to talk about what humility is not. We're going to have to talk about pride. And in verse 3, we see kind of a, a dual explanation of what pride really is. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Now, some of you might have selfish ambition instead of rivalry. Uh, in the Pew Bibles, which one is it? Selfish ambition or? Okay, we'll go with that. All right, so let's first talk about selfish ambition. With selfish ambition, we see that pride always has at its core this kind of competitive and comparative nature. Pride compels you to, to look, at, look around in the room and size everyone up so that you can determine your ranking in this, in the latter ranking in this church, figure out what your position is. Pride, is. pride is what happens when you walk into the room and you point out, you peg everyone. Oh, that's the ugly person. That's the boring guy. That's the prideful guy. You know, that, that's the gossipy lady. 
And then, and then kind of implied there, you never say it, is that you're the good one. You're the only one who doesn't get pegged with a sin. You're, the, you're good. All right, that is, that is pride, just to clarify. That is pride. Um, so think with me about what you're good at. What do you feel like you're, you're good at? Your talents, your gifts. Maybe you feel like you're, you're smart. Or you're funny. Maybe you're, you're hardworking. You're attractive. You're musical. Maybe you're athletic. All those things that you think are really make you kind of, yeah, I'm good at those things. All right, do you have your things? No, not if you have your things. You don't have your things. So you don't get that. <laughs> all right, all right. So what are the things that you like really own? Like these are the things that are good about me. You're going to be tempted to use those things as your standard against everyone else. You're going to judge everyone according to those things. Because then you'll, you'll end up on top. We kind of, uh, we fix this game so that we win it. We fix the race. So, oh, 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 I'm really smart, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose intelligence as my standard for everyone else, and then look down on them. All right, so what might this look like? If you're wealthy, you choose to size everyone up by how wealthy they are. Then everyone else who is poor, you can look down on. And you may even slap kind of a holy sticker on it. Oh, well, I'm just, I'm just really hardworking, and I, I'm just really diligent. That's why, that's why I'm so wealthy. Other people... If only they were so diligent and upright. Right? right? If we're intelligent, we use our intelligence and assess how smart everyone is. Those are kind of the, the typical ones, but there's other ones that are, that are just as bad. That we might not actually say our pride. We might say, well, I'm, I'm more down to earth than anyone else here. I'm more, more middle class, more of an average Joe, and that makes me better. I'm better than, than the rich people who are kind of pompous and boring. Better than the poor people who are kind of sad and lowly. I'm, I'm like right in the middle, right where I should be. Then you have the poor people who say that, yeah, they're poor, but they worked for everything they have. That all those rich people, they just sit on their butts. You know? That, that is, we can use anything. We can use the fact that we're rich or not rich or poor. All of those things can actually reinforce our own pride. We can even use humility. How humble we are. We are more humble than other people. Ironically. <laughs> we do that. Like, oh, I'm just a, such a servant of the Lord. Oh, good. Hey, it's dangerous. You can do this in so many different ways. Two, two loving mothers are saying, well, I, I stay home and I raise my kids. I don't go to work. Therefore, I'm, I'm the more sacrificial. Or you might say, oh, I, I'm a working mom. I've, I've done more for my kids. Who is right? Why, why are we comparing those things? But that, that is pride speaking. Everything becomes one big comparison and competition. So that all of your relationships are actually ways of, of getting value for yourself. You're using the people around you to give yourself a little ego boost. And accordingly, then, all of our relationships are going to be marred and tainted by that. We become really messed up. Because we're not loving people, we're using them so that we feel good. So think about, think about the stories that you tell. Who are the villains in your stories? 
you're looking down on those people. You're scrolling through Facebook and you have like, oh, that person. <laughs> you're looking down on them. Think about just the people you complain about. To complain about someone, you have to look down on them. All those things are comparisons. And you're using categories, you're kind of fixing the system and giving yourself value according to them. All right, so that, that's the first aspect of pride. It's comparison and competition between people. Now, what's the next one? The next one is, in verse 3, is conceit, which is kind of obsession and absorption with ourselves, that we're all about ourselves, that the world kind of does center around us. And oddly enough, there's actually two ways that that can express itself. We can be self-absorbed in two ways. The first way is what we'd normally call pride. That we make those comparisons and those judgments, and we say, oh, well, I've generally come out on top. I've won all of the little games that I'm playing, and so we feel good about ourselves. We are arrogant, we're smug, we're self-assured. But there's another way that that can express itself. So that when you compare yourself to everyone in the room, and you find, oh, I'm actually the lowest. Those people there, they're not smug, they're not arrogant, but they're just super insecure and self-loathing and feel bad about themselves all the time. The thing is, we're not used to calling that pride, but it's just as self-focused and self-absorbed as the arrogant person is. Everything is about themselves. So that kind of person, so kind of always looking around their shoulder, trying to see, oh, what do people think of me? Are, are, they, are they thinking poorly of me? Am I coming off weird in this situation? So you're talking to someone, and it's all about you, and you're all in your head. That's actually pride. That's being consumed with yourself. And I know that's, that's hard because these things come from a sense of, like, lacking value in ourselves and feeling insecure. But the thing is that by doing that, we really end up hurting other people. We end up communicating that we are better than other people or that life should revolve around us. We end up hurting those people in the church, those people around us, and we end up using them. All right, so... Don't do that anymore, and we'll be good, right? Uh, unfortunately, that's not going to cut it, so, so we're going to keep going. Um, okay, what then is real humility? If it's not doing that, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to think about other people? We'll look at verse 3 again. The second half. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves, let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. All right, so pride is quite simply just being all about yourself, and humility seems to be about valuing other people more than you value yourself. Now, that seems simple enough, but we can actually mess that up. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> that's right, Helena, that's hard to do. All right, um, one way we can try to do that and deceive ourselves into thinking we're humble is to just rag on ourselves and act like we're terrible people. So that we just totally demean ourselves, and then we're saying, oh, no, I think everyone's better than me. <laughs> but that just makes us more consumed with ourselves and how terrible we are. and actually doesn't help anyone. It just makes you kind of needy. It's, it's, not, real, it's not real humility. That, that's not going to cut it. All right, so humility is actually valuing people. 
not, not hurting yourself, but valuing other people for who they are. So that a humble person, yes, can look out for their own interests. That, that's clear in verse 4. They, they do that. But their main focus is not other, their own interests. It's other people's. They care about other people more than themselves. Now, Tim Keller puts it well. He says that humility, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It's just not being all wrapped around you and, and assessing a situation, making sure that you're getting the value that's, your, that's due. It's instead just forgetting about all that and focusing on communicating value to other people. Not because you're worthless, but because you want to communicate the value of other people. You want to communicate the value that they have in Christ. All right. So, what does it take to actually do that? Where is that going to come from? That doesn't come from demeaning yourself. It actually comes from establishing your value in something that isn't going to change in something that is stable and is consistent, that you don't have to keep checking on. If your value's in people, then you're going to always have to be looking, assessing, figuring out where you stack up. We need a value that is consistent and unchanging, that is eternal. Right, I think we get where we're going here. <laughs> that brings us to our final point. How do we actually become humble? Where is that source of value? And that source of value is in our connection to Jesus Christ, our relationship with him. Look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so he, he was in the form of God, but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. All right, what does that mean? All right, so that, that word form, form, that's actually, a, a, unfortunately, a technical philosophical term to be in the form of something. So everything has an essence and a form. The essence is kind of like the key of who you are, and the form is how that expresses itself outwardly. So when it says that Jesus was in the form of God, it means that he was outwardly just as glorious and beautiful and powerful and magnificent as was true of who he really was. That was clear. It just permeated from him, his glory and his value. He was in the form of God. And what the text is saying is that he did not consider that something to be grasped. What that means is he didn't cling to it. He didn't think that he needed to, to hang on to it with kind of white-knuckle grips. Instead, he was very fluid with that, that form that is expressing itself. Because he, he was comfortable in his divinity. He knew his value. He knew that he had value as God himself. And so he was comfortable with taking on a different form that would hide that. That would shadow his glory and his worth and his, his honor that he was due. Jesus is not insecure. <laughs> he's not prideful. He doesn't insist that everyone needs to treat him like he's the greatest thing ever. He knows he's the greatest thing ever. There's something nice about that. Like, he knows he's comfortable with that. 
He can walk around, and the, the Pharisees treat him like he's, you know, but he's okay. <laughs> he's fine because he's doing it for a purpose. That's why I think we, we sometimes we talk about God like he like really needs our praise and like oh no, like, he's okay. He's okay. It's just he deserves it, and it would be our joy to give it to him. But he's not prideful. We're putting that on him. All right, so Jesus, in his humility, he takes on the form of a servant, the form of humanity of mankind. Now, we need to realize what that really means. So witnessing to to Muslims, they don't like this doctrine. And this is the doctrine that actually gets in the way of understanding who Jesus is. Because they cannot think, like, how would God, the one true God, become man? That's just too humiliating. God would never do that. That would, that would be an insult to God. And the thing is, that they're, they're right. They actually see it clearly that, that that is such a huge step down. I know we don't tend to think of it that way. We just kind of like, oh, that's what we've always believed. But that is a huge deal. That the, the God of the universe, the one who, who is the word that was spoken and created everything, the one who was by whom and through whom and for whom all creation existed, that he would become a single man, a single lowly poor Jew. That's a big deal. That is our Savior. And then he humbles himself more, obviously, verse 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus himself, God himself, died. Submitted himself to one of the most shameful ways of dying. He became a man, then was brutally murdered and killed on this cross. Now, he could have been thinking that whole time, well, I'm better than these evil people. They don't deserve this. I'm worthy of all praise. I'm the king of the universe. I shouldn't have to die. I should be worshipped and glorified and honored. But that wasn't how Jesus was thinking on the cross. That wasn't how he was thinking. All right, how does this drive us to humility? How does it drive us to humility? First of all, this, this ought to be a reminder that Jesus had to die for us. He had to die for you. You weren't the good person. You weren't the good guy. You weren't the one that God is just too eager to, to give gifts to because you're so great. Jesus was the one who had to die for you because of, of our evil and our sin. That's the reality. So then, all right, so then when we're walking down the street and we see the girl on a low-cut top, and we think, oh, what a, what is she wearing? What is she doing? Like, what are we really doing there? Are you so sexually pure that, that you could look down on anyone else? No, Jesus died for that. Jesus died for your sexual impurity. You have no room to judge people. Or let's say that, uh, that you see a drug addict on the side of the road that, that's probably likely here in Elkton. And what do you think? What are you thinking? 
that you shouldn't have done that, that, that I, I would never do that. I've never tried drugs in my life. Honestly, you are all addicted to sin. You are sin addicts. How many times have you resolved to quit sin and fallen back into it? I'm never going to do this again. A week later, what's going on? You know, like, we're addicts. And we can say we're addicts to sin, but we're also real addicts, many of us, that we struggle with sex and with food and with praise, with all of these things that we have no room to judge. Or let's, let's take the, the poor person, the lowly poor person. They should have worked harder. I've worked for everything that I, that I have. I, I deserve what I have. Honestly, what do we deserve? We deserve this. We deserve death. Death for sin. That is, that is the only thing that we deserve from God. That is the only thing we've earned. That's where we were all destined to die for sin. And we are all in that boat together. No one is better or worse. That's just, that's the line. We're all destined for sin. Or destined for death and under sin. And so we talk about Jesus, Jesus stooping down and coming low for us. And we might say, oh, well, well, you need to stoop down and love those who are less than you. But the thing is that, that that's a little bit dishonest because that's just not really what's happening, right? So Jesus came down from the eternal glories of heaven to become a man and die. You were not asked to do anything like remotely similar to that. We're primarily asked to minister to people who are our equals, who are just as lost as we are, who are sinful creatures just like we are. We're not really called to stoop down at all. In a sense, here and there, yes. But we're holistically called to just minister to people who are just like you. That is the humility that we're called to. All right, now, that could make you feel bad, that you're just worthless. All right, now that, that's, the, that's the beginning of, of humility, is to recognize that, but that's not the end part. Because then you're just going to feel like you're worthless, and then we're going to run to a million other sources for value. So that's where we have to actually look to Jesus, not for the fact that just he died for us, but the fact that he gives us a sense of value that is eternal and everlasting and unchanging. Look at verse 9. Therefore, God has ex highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's this pattern in scripture, and it's kind of the universal rule of, of history and of creation of God's order, that humility leads to pride. Sorry, not pride. Humility leads to honor, and honor leads, leads to shame. Those things kind of naturally reverse themselves. And when Jesus died, when he came and humbled himself, he was lifted up to greater glory and to greater honor. 
to the greatest glory and honor. So he was, he was proclaimed as, as king of the Jews, mocked as he died. And now he is regarded as king of kings, the Lord of lords, greater and more valuable than anyone else, most highly exalted, the most glorified. He can compare himself to anyone he wants and he will win. He could be as prideful as he wanted to be and he'd be justified in it. But in his humility, he actually wants to share that honor with us. So when he was on the cross, he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about us. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about the glory of possessing you. The prize of having relationship with you. And that's where the one who is the most glorious, who has the most clout, who has the most honor, he really does love you. And he cares for you. And he says, I want to be with you. I want to be connected to you. I want to live inside of you by the Spirit. I call you my prized possession, my dearly beloved, my bride. It's connection to Jesus himself, that valuable one, that gives us value. So that we have that in the back of our minds. We have that in the back of our heads. That is the value we carry around with ourselves. And that value is going to empower us to go into this world and to value others. And to, to be willing to bear the shame and the suffering of sharing the gospel and serving people because we know that that isn't going to change. We have the joy of, of knowing this Savior who loves us and gives us his glory that he earned in the resurrection. Now we need to connect to that. We need to connect to that. That it was nothing that we did. It was all about Christ. His love, his humility, his compassion and his mercy towards us. And he really does value you. He loves you personally and not just kind of collectively. That is going to allow us to be humble. And that is the only thing. There's nothing that we did. We're all equally under grace and under love because Christ humbled himself and then entering into his glory, he invited us to enter that glory with him. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the humility of Jesus. Without it, we would have no hope of glory ourselves. We would be brought low and we'd be humiliated. We would be crushed, rightfully so. And So Father, thank you that you are willing to share your glory with us, that you love us, and that you who are most valuable find us to be your cherished ones. Father, I ask that we would go out into this world, and, and even in this church, we would love and be kind and value other people, because we, we have found a value that that we don't need to defend or protect or boast about. We have something that's stable. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. May we love him. We pray this in his name.